So we are in, we're starting a new series today called Decisions, Decisions, asking God for biblical wisdom for some of life's choices. Does anyone else suffer from decision fatigue? Maybe the last 20 months uh, has, that that phenomenon has become especially acute for you. When COVID hit, we all of a sudden were faced with lots of decisions. We were pivoting at work. We were pivoting at church trying to figure out what to do. We were making decisions about how to carry on with our lives. And so leadership people are now talking about uh, people in every sector of leadership uh, suffering from decision fatigue. We're going to the book of Proverbs to help us with that. In the book of Proverbs, we find wisdom. This is part of the Israelite wisdom tradition that we're going to learn about over the next few weeks. But what you see there in Proverbs is, is not just a bunch of pithy little sayings that, that you can uh, easily integrate into your life. What you see there is the document that emerged from a community of people. Clearly, the people that, that put together the book of Proverbs were part of a story that was bigger than themselves. And so as we walk through the book of Proverbs, I want you to think about the story from which it emerges. It reminds me of, of uh, an episode that happened uh, while I was pastoring in Port Arthur, Texas. It's down on the Gulf Coast. Uh, Port Arthur's on the border with Louisiana and, and Texas. And uh, Lauren and I pastored there from 2007. It was, it was uh, my first church to be the lead pastor at. And um, what we discovered when we got to Texas is that they are really into high school football. I mean, I know we're into high school football, and, and we value that, and, and, and we, but man, I, I will have to say this, everything's bigger in Texas. It, it really is, unless, of course, it's the, the Rice football team or the Texas A&M football team or the University of Texas football team. They're not as big as they once were. But, um, but as far as high school football goes, everything is, is bigger there. And, and I don't remember us having a really great public library in Port Arthur, but we had an amazing high school football stadium and um, an amazing high school uh, football program. And so Paul was about to turn four, and he was zoned for a school district called Port Natchez Groves, a little community called Port Natchez, a little community called Groves. That school district formed as a combination of those two communities. And, and so we decided we were going to go all in with PNG, and, and we were going to go to the pep rallies, and we were going to go to the football games, and they really were fun to go to. And so every Friday, they'd have a pep rally, and we would go, and we'd take our, our four-year-old, and he would learn the cheers, and he would watch the, uh, the in, they were the Indians. He would watch their Indian mascot do this special little dance, and, and that was really fun. And on Friday nights, we would go to the football games, and we decided we were going to be all in with PNG. In fact, here is a four-year-old Paul going to the game, he is ready to go and cheer on those PNG Indians. He's got his fat finger. He's got his fan shirt on. And uh, for a season, we bled purple, the PNG Indian purple. And I remember being at the game one night, and I was sitting beside a lady, and she was really into the game. She was really cheering. And then I just kind of get into sports. And so Paul and I, we were cheering, and Paul was waving his fat finger, and we were really into the game. And... Um, I looked at her and I said, hey, do you have a student on the field? Is, is, do, you, do you have a kid that's playing? And she said, oh, yeah, 
my son's number 54. He's playing defense tonight. He's doing a really good job. I said, oh, yeah, I've seen him make a few tackles. That's really great. And she was just really into it. And then she looked at me and she said, do you have a son on the team? And like, I, I wanted to not be offended. I was 33 years old at the time. I, I wanted, you know, I was, I was like, yeah, it's okay. She thinks that I have a freshman. You know, I'm just going to let that go. And it um, wasn't quite as gray then as I, as I am now. Um, but uh, I said, no, no, I don't, I don't have a player on the field. And so then she said, well, so did you go to Port Natchez Groves? Are you a Port Natchez Grove Indian alumnus? And I said, oh, no, actually, I, yeah, I didn't go to PNG. She said, oh, oh, well, your daddy must have gone to PNG. And I said, no, no, dad didn't go to PNG. And she said, well, I went to PNG. My daddy played football at PNG. Uh, I met my husband at PNG. I bleed purple. I am all about the PNG Indians. I said, oh, that's really cool. And she said, oh, so did your wife go to PNG? Maybe you met your wife at PNG. I said, no, I, I, she didn't go to Port Natchez Groves either. We, uh, we moved here not too long ago. And she looked at me like this quizzical look on her face. She said, huh, so you didn't go to PNG? You don't have a student at PNG? Your wife didn't go to PNG? I said, no. She looks at me and she goes, then why are you here? And I wanted to look at her and say, lady, I ask myself that all the time. Why am I here in Port Arthur, Texas? Why am I here? But what she was conveying to me in the long history that she had with Port Natchez Groves is that there is a story there. There's a rich tradition that she is a part of. And there was a part of me that was wanting to graft myself onto that story was wanting to attach myself to that tradition, and I don't think she was having any of it. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Why would you be so passionate about this game when you have no connection to it the way I have a connection to it? And I, I, wanna, I want you to understand that what the book of Proverbs represents is a story. There is a tradition there. It is a story that we are invited to embrace. It is the collective wisdom of the Israelite community and most of it is attributed to King Solomon, uh, but it wasn't Solomon exclusively. It was a community of sages. It was the, the group of people known as the wise people of Israel. Now, if you want people to read this collection of wisdom, you're certainly going to lead with the Solomon card. He would be the most famous of all the sages. And so that's why the book begins the way it does. But it wasn't Solomon alone. It was a community of people that looked at the way life was ordered. And they desperately wanted people to live in ways that were wise and prudent. And the intent of Proverbs, really the whole Israelite wisdom tradition, is to pass on a way of life. And this way of life is characterized by justice, by diligence, by prudence, by faithfulness and honesty. And these are virtues that the community, the story, is wanting to pass on to the next generation, and don't think that these virtues happen in a vacuum, that somehow you cultivate this kind of life for yourself, by yourself, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, these, these virtues of, of wisdom and prudence, these things happen in the context of a community. As this community forms and shapes you, it makes you into this person who is wise. And so that's our intention over the next few weeks, there is a distinct way of living, friends, 
This community that we are part of, this church of Jesus Christ, that we become a part of when we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, it, it makes certain claims upon our life. This community forms and shapes us, and it determines how we use our time, where we spend our money, who we have sex with, how we use our words, where we invest our resources, what we do when we are angered, how we feel about injustice. These are all decisions that we make on a daily basis in the crucible of life. And we don't make them in a vacuum. They affect us and they affect others. And we are called to make them in faithful ways. And this community of people is shaping us to make them in ways that are wise and prudent and faithful to the story that we are a part of. We are part of a story, and this story shapes the decisions we make. The story has a claim on our lives. It says you can't go out there and just say whatever you want to say. You can't go out there and just enter into sexual relationships with whoever you want to enter into sexual relationships with. This story has a claim on your life. And it forms and it shapes you. Alistair McIntyre, one of my favorite theologians, he said, I can only answer the question of what must I do if I've answered the prior question of, of what story am I a part of? What story has a claim on my life? Whatever story has a claim on my life is going to shape what I say and what I do. And so one of the things you'll see very quickly in the book of Proverbs is the sages, the community of sages, are wanting you to see there's this golden thread of wisdom. And it's programmed into the fiber of creation. And the writers desperately want the young people to catch on to this golden thread, to embrace this way of living. There's this great concern that young people would find this golden thread. And so let's revisit what uh, Pastor Chad read for us. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing, look at these virtues, what is right, just, and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. The wisdom tradition is saying, young people, listen to these people with silver in their hair. They have done a little bit of living. They've done more living than you have. And they've found some things to be true, not only because God's word says they're true, but they found them to be true because at creation they were programmed into the fiber of the world. And so we've collected all these things inspired by the Holy Spirit. Young people, listen, grab onto this golden thread. Let the wise listen and add to their understanding. Proverbs is saying, even if you have some silver in your hair, you can add to your wisdom and your understanding. God has work to do in you. God's not done with you. And let the discerning get prudence for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then here's the, as, as the, here's the, the, the key to unlock the entire book. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, you're going to see that word a lot, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so you see this emphasis on the young. Find this golden thread. Find this golden thread. Order your life by attach yourself to this community. And the sage is saying from both experience and because of what God's word says that life is short. Life is a vapor. And you don't have time to waste your life, young people, on the way of the fool. You just you may think you're going to live forever, but you don't have time to pursue the way of the fool. At a young age, early on, make sure you attach yourself to this story so that you can live in ways that are right and just and fair. I want to go back to verse 7, that key to unlocking all of it. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, as we read through the book of Proverbs, what the writer is saying there, this is not like fear that we get when we watch a scary movie. This isn't like, I'm afraid of something. But it's saying, what about the awe and the respect and the reverence that the Lord is due? What is that feeling you get when you are standing on the Rockies and you look out upon the mountains? What is that feeling you get when you look into the deep of the Pacific Ocean or when you watch the sun rise on the Atlantic? That feeling of awe and reverence and inspiration. The writer is saying, let's be in awe of who the Lord is and his knowledge and this golden thread that weaves its way through life. Let's live in fear of the Lord. To borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis, what the wisdom tradition is for us is deep magic. Lewis uses this phrase in his children's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He says there's a deep magic. There's a way that the world is programmed. There's a way that the world is ordered. And what you're going to see in Proverbs are principles, these sayings, these little maxims that represent the deep magic of how the world is ordered. Things like you reap what you sow. That's programmed into creation. It's programmed into our world. It's true not only because God says it's true, but it's true through personal experience. I want to take you through very quickly just five categories of things that Proverbs is saying, things that represent the deep magic of the book of Proverbs. And, and, and so let's just look at a few of them. The, the most obvious, I think, is what the Proverbs has to say about diligence and hard work and avoiding laziness. Uh, Proverbs 6 says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. And by the way, I mean, we're going to see the word fool a lot. You're going to be called a sluggard a lot. Like, there's no mincing of words here in, in Proverbs. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. What is the golden, what is the deep magic saying about hard work, about diligence, about not depending on some government agency to provide for your needs, but getting out and doing the hard work and building the business and go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and, and be wise. What does the deep magic say about how we invest our money? Look at this, verse, uh, Proverbs 10. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. The son who gathers during summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. 
Verse 21. Uh, sorry, Proverbs 21. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. What is Proverbs saying about reckless uses of our money? What would Proverbs say about buying lottery tickets and being restless and gambling away our money? What would Proverbs say about running up debt and buying things that we can't afford? What would Proverbs say about that? This golden thread, this deep magic says it's reckless and you're going to pay the price. And so you need to be diligent and you need to be wise in how you invest your money. What about anger and prudence? Proverbs 29, an angry world needs to hear this. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Are you upset about something? The fool gets on social media and says exactly what they're thinking. They put their stream of consciousness out for the world to see, and they say it as loud as they can with the biggest megaphone that's ever been given to humanity. The fool gives full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. The deep magic of Proverbs says that, that we can't just vent our rage out there. We can't just have this stream of consciousness that tells us, that, that airs every grievance we have with the world. But the wise, the deep magic says the person who is wise will bring calm in the end. What does Proverbs 22 warn us of? Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who's easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. I think it's saying something about leaders who are always angry, leaders who don't lead with wisdom and discretion. Don't attach yourself to that kind of leader, to a hot-tempered person. Only a fool would do that. So the way this, this community has a claim on what we do when we're angry. What about honesty and peacemaking? Proverbs chapter 6 says this, there are six things the Lord hates. And I, I just, this formula shows up a few times in the Bible. There are six things the Lord hates. No, wait, 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 wait. Seven. I've just thought of another one. Six things the Lord hates, because you can't have six of anything. That's not a biblical number. There's seven. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. What is the wisdom tradition saying about these kinds of people? It's saying that, that, that the Lord has a hatred for these kinds of sins, that this is detestable to him, that the Lord looks at people who live this way and the Lord recognizes that, that they are not living in accordance with the way that he has programmed the world to function and, and, and for the world to thrive. And so what do we as the people of God need to take away from this as we think about living lives of honesty and living lives that are not just free of conflict, but lives that are actively trying to make peace in a world full of people who stir up conflict in the community? One more. What does what what Proverbs say about 
justice and compassion? What about people who are pushed to the margins of our world? Proverbs 29 says this, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. We really need to think about this. We need to think about this deep magic that's saying, go to the ant, on one hand it's saying, go to the ant, you slugger, don't be lazy. But what, a, what about the poor who, they, they know the ways of the ant, they work hard, they put 40 hours a week in, maybe more, and for some reason when they put 40 hours a week in, it's not rewarded the way this other group of people are putting 40 hours a week in. And, and, and they work hard and they show up on time, but they don't climb the ladder as fast as these people. What, 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 what environment is this group of people working in and what forces are working against them that keep them poor? Why is it that this group thrives and this group doesn't? You see, the deep magic is, is tempering itself. It's saying work hard and be diligent, but recognize that the wise person also cares about justice for the poor. The wicked are going to recognize what's going on over here with the poor, and they're going to have no such concern. It's going to be of little interest to them. The wicked, all they worry about is, is, is climbing their own ladder, and they're going to be unconcerned with justice for the poor. What else does Proverbs say that ends the book, Proverbs 31, like this? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Here's what you need to know about this deep magic. This fiber of creation that's woven into our world. What God envisions, and this is reflected in the first five books of the Old Testament, what God envisions is a community of people where everyone thrives. And, and there's some people in society that they're going to plug into these things, they're going to give hard work, they're going to give diligence, they're going to be rewarded for that. And what the deep magic is saying is when a person plugs into this and they're rewarded for that and they build wealth, they cannot ignore the plight of those who are poor. They cannot ignore the plight of those who have not had the same opportunity. The deep magic works like that. This is how the, the, the world according to how God has programmed it, ought to work. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the, the poor and the needy. So that's just an example, friends. That's just an example of, of what we find in the book of, of Proverbs. And I feel that it is a timely message for us. I feel like we are living in a time in which no one is living with wisdom and prudence, and discretion. And I know there are some gathered here today. You have some silver in your hair. And, and that silver in your hair didn't come from a, a bottle. That silver in your hair came from years of, of living faithfully with the Lord. And those of you with a little silver in your hair, or maybe no hair, <laughs> maybe, maybe you would say, Oh, pastor, Proverbs, it's true. Every word of it, what you said about the ant and the sluggard, what you said about living lives of compassion for the poor, what you said about honesty and peacemaking, in my 
years that it took me to earn this silver hair, I have, I have proven it to be true. I have thrived. My life has been blessed. My family has been blessed. And I'm so thankful that at an early age, I found that golden thread. I found that deep magic, and I allowed that golden thread of wisdom to order my life. I allowed that community to form and shape the decisions that I make. It's true because it's in God's Word, but, Pastor, it's also true because it's programmed into the world. This is the way God has set it up, and I'm a testimony to that. You know, those of you that have that testimony, I want to say this. This is exactly why, two things, I'm glad I'm part of a hundred-year-old church because I get to rub shoulders with people like that. I also would say this is why there are certain funerals I want my kids to attend. In fact, there are certain funerals where I make sure my kids are there. Parents, I don't know, this is a little foreign to me, but for some reason we, we want to protect our children from the reality of death. And so we say things like, well, I don't want to take my kids to the funeral I don't want them to be, you know, confronted with this sadness. And so, so I'm not going to take my kids to the funeral. And we try to shield our kids for as long as we can from this just stark reality of what it means to be human. And this is a little foreign to me. Part of it is because I grew up a pastor's kid. And one of the things my dad did was funerals a lot. And I would get out of school. I'd hop in the car. What are we doing today, Dad? Well, I got a funeral at 4 o'clock, so let's go to the funeral home. So... It was not uncommon for me to hop in the car with my dad, walk into the funeral home. I didn't really know who was there, but I just hung out while he did his thing, and we would go to the graveside, and, and this was a common occurrence for me. One of the things I picked up as I attended funerals with my dad is that, wow, there are people who live beautiful lives. There are people who live lives that are exemplary. And we should follow their example. And I was confronted with this reality that, that life is short. And parents, part of the golden thread, part of the deep magic that your kids needs to know, need to know, is that life is indeed short. I had a friend, Lauren and I were talking with them. I said, hey, how are you? How, this has been several years ago. How was your day? Oh, it was good. Uh, our kid's goldfish died today. I said, oh, Really? Their goldfish died. I'm so sorry to hear that. And they said, oh, it's okay. So they didn't notice it. They went off to school, and we walked into their room, and we saw their goldfish was bottoms up in the goldfish tank. And so we took that goldfish, and we flushed it down the toilet. We went to the pet store, and we bought a new one. And we put it in the goldfish tank. They got home from, from school, and they never knew that the goldfish had died. And I just thought to myself, how many times have they done that? Like shielding their children from the reality that goldfish die. Um, like, are these kids going to grow up thinking goldfish are immortal? That, like, like, and then what about when Nana dies? Like, I think some kid somewhere is going to say, well, why can't Nana live forever the way my goldfish lives forever? Like, at some point, we have to come face to face with the reality that life is short. Life is short. And so we need to find this golden thread. We need to find this golden thread, this wisdom that's programmed into the world. 
But hanging around with my dad going to funerals, I saw lives that were exemplary, but I also saw lives that were not exemplary. And I remember him saying this to me one time when I was a little older, much older actually. He said, son, you you need to know this, that sometimes a funeral home is packed because someone lives such a beautiful life. But he said, sometimes a funeral home is packed because people show up, they want to make sure they're really dead. (laughs) Just want to make sure. I saw it in the paper. I don't have to see the death certificate, but I just want to make sure they're not going to be around to make my life any worse than it already is. Like the munchkins coming out in the Wizard of Oz to make sure the house really has fallen on the Wicked Witch of the South. Let's confirm this has happened. Sometimes a life is lived that does not find the deep magic. In fact, they live their life in contrast to the deep magic. They, they live in such a way that only benefits them. The, the deep magic says they are a fool. The fool lives as if they're guaranteed tomorrow. The fool lives as if their choices today do not affect them and others around them. The fool lives in the delusion that they are going to live forever. Fool, just think, I can say whatever I want to say because tomorrow I'll fix it. I can say whatever I'm going to say because tomorrow people will forget about it. I can hurt whoever I want to hurt. I can walk on top of whoever I want to walk on top of because I'm going to live forever. And I can get whatever benefits me right now. The fool lives under the delusion that they're going to live forever. Lauren and I were watching something on TV this week, and we saw an actor we had not seen in a while. I said, oh, what were they on? Oh, yeah, they were on that show. Didn't they marry so-and-so? Yeah, they married so-and-so. Are they still together? We get on Google, got divorced, and we acted shocked. I'm like, why are we surprised that celebrity marriages, you know, break up, like, all the time, that celebrities can't stay married? Because they are living under the delusion of their immortality. Shouldn't be shocked by that. The fool lives in the delusion that they're going to live forever. And maybe there are a few of us here today. Your story is different than the person with silver in their hair. You know this deep magic to be true. But it's not because of the silver in your hair. It's because of the scars that you bear. You've learned this the hard way. You've learned this the the hard way. And, And maybe some of you would say to the young, listen, learn these lessons early. Do not learn the hard way the way I learned. You don't have to have these scars. You don't have to live with these wounds. You don't have to live with these broken relationships, this deep magic is true. It's programmed into creation. You will reap what you sow. Everything Proverbs is talking about will be proven true. Don't make the same mistakes I did. And for some, it is too late. But 
as true as this deep magic is, can I share some good news with you? To go back to our friend C.S. Lewis, there is a deeper magic. There is a deeper magic, and it's good news for the people of God. There is a deeper magic, especially for those who have the scars to prove that the deep magic is true. There is a deeper magic. In the story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's a story of, of four children who find a magical wardrobe. And this wardrobe takes them to the kingdom of Narnia. And there in Narnia, they discover that it's always winter and never Christmas. Narnia is living under the curse of the White Witch. And one of the children's names is Edmund. And Edmund has an encounter with the White Witch. And he makes trade. The White Witch promises him instant gratification. The White Witch promises Edmund Turkish delight. And so Edmund, the fool, he takes the Turkish delight. And he aligns himself with the White Witch. And he betrays his three siblings. He betrays Aslan, the rightful ruler of Narnia. And he is a traitor. And as the story begins to climax, the White Witch and Aslan have an encounter to determine what they're going to do with the traitor, Edmund. And I want to take you to Narnia. Let's go to Narnia today, and I want you to see how this plays out. You have a traitor there, Aslan, said the witch. Of course, everyone present knew that she meant Edmund, but Edmund had got past thinking about himself. After all, he'd been through and after the talk he'd had that morning, he just went on looking at Aslan. It didn't seem to matter what the witch said. Well, said Aslan, his offense was not against you. Have you forgotten the deep magic, asked the witch. Let, let's say I've forgotten it, answered Aslan gravely. Tell us of this deep magic. Tell you, said the witch, her voice growing suddenly shriller. Tell you what is written in the very table of stone which stands beside us. Tell you what is written in letters deep as a spear is long on the firestones of the secret hill. Tell you what is engraved on the scepter of the emperor beyond the sea. You at least know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the beginning. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and for every treachery I have a right to kill. Mm. The witch knew the deep magic. This magic that was programmed into creation at the beginning of time. There is a way to live, friends. And this way leads to life. But if you betray this way, if you fail to embrace it, if you ignore the instructions of your parents, if you live only for the moment, if you fail to keep and manage time, if you chase after instant gratification, if you order your life in ways that are lazy and self-gratifying, if you provoke others to anger, if you stir up controversy and ruin your good reputation, like Edmund the traitor, you will reap what you sow the way the world is. It's the way God set it up. It's the way sin operates. 
But there's a deeper magic. There is a deeper magic. It's a story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that allows Paul to say this in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still traitors, while we were still living under the delusion of our self-sovereignty and living under the delusion of our immortality, Christ died for us. For everyone who has done the six, no, wait, 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 seven things that the Lord hates. Christ died for you. Christ died for your sin. Christ died for your selfishness. Christ died for your mistakes, for your treachery. He died for you. And through Christ, we are forgiven. And we are invited to embrace a new story. And that includes everyone here today that has the scars to prove that they've made mistakes. Everyone who has the open wounds in their life right now that demonstrates they've lived in ways contrary to this story that we see in Proverbs. For all of us, through Christ, we are forgiven and we are invited to embrace a new story. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I love how Lewis portrays this in the, in the book. Aslan gives himself for Edmund. The white witch kills Aslan instead of Edmund. And Lucy and Susan are there at the dead body of Aslan. And they are overcome with grief. But they hear a noise and suddenly they turn. And there is Aslan alive. And we pick it up. Oh, you're real! You're real! Oh, Aslan! cried Lucy. And both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does it mean? asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, says Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes only back to the dawn of time. But if she had looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who's committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would stop working backwards. And now, oh yes, now, said Lucy, jumping up and clapping her hands. Oh, children, said the lion. I feel my strength coming back to me. Oh, children, catch me if you can. And now, said Aslan presently, to business, to business. I feel that I'm going to roar. You better put your fingers in your ears. And they did. And Aslan stood up. And when he opened his mouth to roar, his face became so terrible that they did not dare look at it. And they saw all the trees in front of him bend before the blast of his roaring as grass bends in a meadow before the wind. Jesus is alive. 
Jesus has conquered sin, death, and hell on our behalf. And he invites us into his story. He invites us to participate in this new life. So bring your mistakes. Bring your failures. Bring the times you've messed up. Bring the messes that you've made. Lay them at the feet of Jesus and be healed by this deeper magic, this gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done for us. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to invite you to receive Christ today. There's a lot of scars in the room. There's a lot of failure in the room. And I put myself at the top of the list. You don't have to be imprisoned to your failure, to the ways that you've lived contrary to this story that God invites us into. We can be forgiven. We can be restored. And we can be grafted into this story of faithfulness that God is writing even today. And it begins when we put our hope and our trust in Jesus. When we say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you forgive me of my failures? Will you forgive me where I've asserted my own self-sovereignty in contrast to you? We give that to the Lord, and by grace and through faith, he cleanses us of our sins, and he gives us his Holy Spirit, and he empowers us to live a new life. And so today, let's pray. And as I lead us in prayer, right there where you're at, you can receive this good news today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your life, death, and resurrection. Lord, I, I, I bring my own scars into this place, and I know that there are those gathered here that have the scars to prove that what the writer of Proverbs is saying is true. But Lord, we're thankful for the deeper magic, the gospel that you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so, Lord, for those with scars, for those with open wounds, Lord, for that person here today that's saying, I want to receive Christ. I want to trust in Christ for a new life. Would you enter into their life today? By faith, through grace, would you forgive them of their sins? Or would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill all of us with your Holy Spirit? so that we can live here today committed to a new life, empowered to live a new life, filled with new air in our lungs and new power for the mission that you've given us in the world. Lord, may we live lives of faithfulness, not on our own strength, but through you living in us. We thank you again for the hope of new life and what you're doing here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.